Okay. So today, I've, I've, we, we did a bit of a deep dive last night on the deepening course, which is what the deepening course is about, into the uh, in imposter syndrome. In the second half, what I did was the practices that work with it. What, I, what I'm going to do today is to simplify it as much as possible. And uh, so what imposter syndrome is this? It, basically, it's, it's more obvious in the workplace, but it tends to crop up in life as well. Um, and so what it is, is a sense that in some way you're not good enough. You know, we've, we've all had that, yes, Ellie, you're not good enough in your job, in a relationship. It might be something that you've, you know, if you take, let's take the, the work imposter syndrome, which is the important one. Uh, when I say important, every it's important in all elements of our life. But it tends to crop up at work uh, a lot. And it also becomes very intensive at work because there's there's unrealistic expectations on most people in most jobs most of the time. Uh, almost tempting to say all people in all jobs all of the time. Uh, there's a good reason for the unrealistic expectations as well. Um, so it's just part of the modern workplace. So there you are. You e, could be anything. Could be anything within your domain or on the on the edge of your skill set, and you know that you're up to it if you look at your experience and you feel like there's something missing. And you'll probably get that same thing in your life, and the 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 sense that one is not good enough is is pretty universal so imposter syndrome and not good enoughness are pretty universal the reason they're universal is this it's because who are you yeah we have this concept of the self okay where did where is the self yeah so I've got, here's my body okay but there's more to it than that there's if, you, if we're talking about something like imposter syndrome, there's an expectation that you do something. So the people that you interact with perceive you in a way and they own that perception. You also have a perception of yourself. A lot of our interactions in the modern world are essentially a negotiation for the nature of the self. There's a thing called a persona, which it, a persona pretty much exists in almost all of our interactions. Um, I believe in Japan, there's a kind of formal acceptance of the fact that somebody has a work persona and a home persona, and then they've got a karaoke persona. So you can have, and you've got, you know, you've got your hanging out with your mate's persona. I'm not utterly sure of that. I'm not an expert in Japanese culture, uh, but this is what I was told. And that, and that makes absolute sense because, you know, how many people have you known at work who are like stuffy and miserable and then you go for a social at the pub and then they're, you know, dancing on the tables. 
And uh, um, obviously it's the effects of alcohol, but essentially they, they behave differently and it's like a different them. And so that there's this persona and the persona kind of exists in the space between you and somebody else. Now, there, there is judgment and criticism as part of our lives in the 21st century. It's absolutely fundamental. It's not bad. It's how human beings behave in our sort of environment. And one of the things that happens is we're concerned at being criticized or being believed to be not good enough. And that is enough to trigger our perception of ourself as not being good enough. We kind of believe what we believe others believe about us. In our culture, and in, as a matter of fact, this is, this is the genetic design for human beings, the genetic blueprint for human beings, is you believe that you are what you believe others believe you are. Yeah? So uh, there, there are roles in human life, and they're, they're, if you, you're interested in what those roles are, you'll find them in, in a set of archetypes that were constructed by a, um, a literary scientist by the name of Joseph Campbell, who did analysis of tribal groups throughout the world. And he identified these persona that came up very commonly in uh, myth, the myths. And that those, those persona can be identified in most human groups. Uh, one of them, for example, is the hero. Uh, the, and so he, this is very common myth. It appears in all, um, all of the tribal groups that he encountered. And it also exists in, in our wisdom traditions uh, in the West and in the East. Uh, that the hero overcomes supernatural forces to bring back a gift. And, and so this, this is known as the hero's journey. So what you're seeing there is the, the embodiment of the persona that we all adopt. So everybody does it. Everybody perceives you as a quality, not just as a person, not just as a name, a job, you know, it's a taste in clothes, um, um, interests, and so on. And it boils down to a quality. And we want that quality to be fulfilling for somebody else. And the, because that's how we're human beings interact most usefully. We want them to be fulfilled by us in that if we sit down and speak to them, when they stand up and go away, they feel better. A fulfilling interaction with somebody with very powerful energy means you get up afterwards and you go away and you're kind of carrying them with you. They've 
like there, I mean, I look in, look at this group here and this group here, and I, I see people who have energy that's memorable. And that's what we want to bring. But then the modern world is so artificial, often, especially in the workplace, that that gets in the way of this. And then it all becomes about judgment and criticism about what somebody has achieved. So we take that on emotionally, and then those emotions are there when we're interacting and when we're performing our tasks and when we're um, interacting with others. And that can get in the way of fulfilling interactions for us and fulfilling interactions for them. That's uh, what to do about this. Um, so it's quite a you know, it's quite a deep subject, the nature of the self. Uh, it's useful to realize, and this is a realization rather than you know something that you have to learn by rote, but it's useful to realize to take away the power of this set of beliefs that can be so unhelpful, it's useful to realize that that persona is not real. Yeah. So if we look into it, and this, we learn this in, in meditation. So meditation, the purpose of meditation is to become familiar with the mind. And what we discover when we meditate is thoughts and emotions, physical sensations. Pretty much that's 99.9% .9 of human existence. Thoughts, emotions, sense perceptions. So when we're meditating, the thoughts and emotions are essentially our environment, although we may be aware of sound, we may focus on sound, we may focus on our physiology. They're the sense perceptions side of it. And there's the thoughts and the emotions. But then the question arises, what is it that's aware of the thoughts and emotions? And it's useful to just call that an awareness. Now, the awareness is what is always there. If the awareness isn't there, you'll never notice because you're not aware. Thoughts can be silent. You can feel like there's no real emotion. They come and go. All sensory experience changes. So that's, that's the object. And then there's the subject is that which is aware of the object. And it, it only has really one task, which is focus. All you can do with the awareness is focus it. And pretty much all useful meditation consists of focusing our awareness. Now that awareness has no real characteristics other than its ability to focus. So subsequently, it's a bit difficult to criticize. Yeah? You'll never get anybody sit you down and say, look, there's a big problem with your awareness. They might say, well, you need to be a little bit more aware or you're going to crash into that car or whatever it happens to be. But they won't say there's anything wrong with your awareness other than its focus is easily distracted 
but only really when it matters to them. And that's, you're not going to you're not going to carry that around as baggage for the rest of your life. What we carry around as baggage for the rest of our lives instead is these labels that we've adopted from our interactions with other people that we feel diminish us in some way. They're not real. They're not real. They arose and they'll subside. And they exist only because of our past interactions, largely because we have either heard people judging us and criticizing us. And like I said, that doesn't really matter. Because say somebody criticizes something that you've done, they're not criticizing you, they're criticizing what you've done. They can try to criticize you, but you're just an awareness. It's uncriticizable. It's unjudgmental. So what they're doing is trying to hang something on you to make themselves feel better. And that, But that's a very real thing. And then so what happens is we, we carry this around. Now, despite the fact that one can know this, even when one is aware of it intuitively and responds to it intuitively, you still get that thing. You still get that, oh dear, you know, there's there's something wrong with me. I'm quite not good in, not quite good enough in some way. Uh, you feel like you could improve yourself, whatever it might happen to be. Yeah, you know, it, it might be quite valid. If it's a thing, you sort it out. If it's not, it's for the bin. But putting it in the bin becomes difficult. So the solution is to neutralize. This, these unhelpful beliefs. All unhelpful beliefs can be neutralized. All unhelpful beliefs are not real. There are no, if, it, if it's real, it's helpful. So if it's like, Robert, you're doing this thing wrong, or you're, you're not teaching in a particularly useful way, you need to change it or something. That's, that's what we call constructive criticism, yeah? And take that on board and so you can you can alter that. But if it's about you, then it's not real. Now, the thing is, despite the fact you know that, it's not going to help any. So what we need to do is just accept that and say, okay, so we've got this person, they don't know me, or this group of people, and I believe that they perceive me in a way that I'm not good enough or I perceive myself in a way that I'm not good enough. We just want to neutralize the power of those beliefs. And that's what we're going to learn tonight. So if for the benefit of the newcomers, forget about everything you've ever heard about meditation, because most of it's unhelpful. It, it doesn't actually really help you to experience meditation the best thing to do is to try a little experiment and the experiment is a listening experiment and what we're going to listen to is the sound of the bell as it moves through time 
So the best thing that you can do is just close your eyes so you can hear the sound of the bell and notice the sound of the bell as it moves through time. Stay with it. Notice the mind will drift. Notice ambient sound also moving through time. Or, if there is no ambient sound, or if you prefer to do it anyway, notice the breath. Ideally at the point where the belly meets the chest. And you're able to either notice the movement of the belly or you're able to notice sound passing through time. And you'll notice that they both move through time at the same speed. as does the sound of my voice. So this is our sanity check for mindfulness, for connection to the present moment, is noticing the passage of time. If we're aware of the passage of time, then we're present. We're in the present moment. And the mind might be active, it might not. There might be emotions, there might not. And that doesn't matter.
So we're just noting the general gentle passage of the present moment through time. So there's no expectations, no goal, nothing to be gained. There's no trying. We're not trying to calm the mind or we're not trying to understand anything. This is like sitting by the banks of a mountain stream and you're noticing the stream. Moving past. And we all do this from time to time. Come to a piece of water and we sit there and we notice it passing. Or we look up at the clouds and notice the clouds passing. Or we listen to the sound of the rain. We sit on the beach watching the waves rolling up, washing away. Whenever we do any of those things, we're not trying to gain anything from it. We're just noticing the passage of time in the same way we can notice it with the rising and falling of the belly or the passage of sound through time. And of course, you can notice my words moving through time. And you can notice your thoughts, maybe. So when we witness thought, often we're drawn into its meaning. But whatever your thoughts consist of, whether they're images, scenarios, whether they're symbols, whether there's the sense of something arising and subsiding, whether it's you're in a dialogue, chattering away. You can notice that passing through time as well. 
Okay, so what we can do now is check into the body. And the most useful way to do that is by adopting an open, balanced and relaxed posture. And so if we're seated, what we do is put our elbows by the side and balance our head comfortably and gently on our spines. You might want to move your head around to find the most comfortable position. So the more comfortable the head and neck are, the less muscles are in use and the more relaxed you are. And with the elbows by the side, Bring your attention to your shoulders and notice the shoulders rising and falling with the breath. And then on the out breath, allow the shoulders to relax. You're releasing tension from the shoulders on the out breath. If you take your tongue and place it against the sharp part of the bottom teeth, so it's gently in contact with the back of the top teeth, You'll find you naturally breathe in and out through the nostrils, so long as you don't have a cold, and as slow long as this is comfortable. And leaving the tongue up against the sharp part of the bottom teeth leaves your jaw relaxed. And so you're able to let the tension and tightness out. with our eyes either closed or looking down, just past the tip of the nose, just so we don't get distracted by anything that's going on around us. Now focus your attention on the center of the eyeballs. And you might be aware of tension, tightness in the eyes and around it. And what you do is focus on the out breath. So the in breath just becomes something that brings you from one out breath to the other.
now bring your attention to the space between the eyes, just between the eyebrows. And gently leave your attention there. There's a soft, gentle focus on the space between the eyes. It's not a sharp focus. We're not trying to get anything out of it. We're just allowing ourselves to be aware. The space between the eyes, between the eyebrows, between the eyes. So we'll just leave our attention there for the next couple of minutes. What we can discover from this is we can notice that we can be aware of sound and the movement of the breath at the same time. We're just noticing sound passing through time. We're noticing the breath rising and falling. And throughout it all, we're maintaining a gentle, soft focus on the space between the eyes.
and now gently move your attention down to the belly, just at the point where it meets the chest. And you're noticing that tiny movement Belly rising and belly falling. And you can note it in your mind. So what you do is you capture your inner dialogue, the, the chatter in your mind, and you use that inner voice as the belly rises. Say in our minds, rising. And as the belly falls, so in the mind falling, rising, falling. So now move your attention inwards. And what you want to do is to allow yourself to be aware of the space that's inside you, not the movement of the belly, which is on the outside of the body. So we're not focusing on our internal organs, not interested in the heart or the lungs or any bowel movements or anything like that. All we want to do is focus inward on the space inside the body. In the chest or in the area behind the point where the belly meets the chest. Although you can look inwards at anything, you can look inwards deep in the belly between your temples, wherever you wish, higher up in the chest, it doesn't matter. We've just focused our attention inwards. And there's a gentle, soft, focus within us. So this is called the inner body meditation. 
And so what we do now is we not only notice inside ourselves, we also move our attention, that which is noticing inside ourselves. So our, our three-dimensional location in space, we move it inside our body. And the way to do that is imagine it's like settling into a comfy sofa or armchair. You're just moving inside your body and you're noticing your body. You're aware of your inner body. And you are within your inner body. So the movement of the belly and the passage of time through sound and thoughts and emotions, they don't go away. But we're observing it all from within us. And now staying deep inside ourselves, bring to mind whichever being it is, human being or a living creature that brings you a warm feeling, either now or in the past. So this is what we call in meditation, the good person. It needn't be a person, it can be a pet, it can be an animal. Whatever, whichever being, living being, brings you the warm feeling. And you hold them in mind while you keep your awareness within you. Notice how it feels holding that being that brings you a warm feeling in mind and allow yourself to feel that. And what we do now is we repeat a mantra. This is a compassion mantra to that being. And this can be just words or it can have a warm emotion associated with it. Doesn't matter. So holding the good person, the being that brings us a warm feeling in mind, what we do is say in our mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they be free from suffering. May they be well, may they be happy, 
May they be free from suffering. You're just using your inner voice. Allowing yourself to feel that warm feeling as you hold them in mind. Doing it from the sense of being within you. May they be well. May they be happy. May they be free from suffering. So now bring yourself to mind. So here's a persona for the meditating self. The meditating self, what we're doing is gentle repetition to train ourselves. So when you get a kitten and you want the trainer to use the litter tray, you just lift her up and gently place her in the litter tray over and over again. You're just repeating that gentle repetition, gentle repetition. And she learns. And that's what we're doing in meditation. That same part of our mind, just like a kitten. Gentle repetition. Repeat the practice over and over and over again. And in time we learn. That's the persona we focus on when we do what we call the self-compassion practice. And the self-compassion practice, we're still located in our body, still have that warm feeling, focusing on that part of us that's just like that kitten. May I be well? May I be happy. May I be free from suffering. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be free from suffering.
Any tension that's crept into the body, just releasing it on the out breath. May I be well. May I be happy. May I be free from suffering. And so now what we want to do is to bring to mind a critic, somebody who's either criti criticized us explicitly or we believe that they feel we're not good enough in some way. It doesn't matter either of those. You don't have to pick somebody who's traumatized you. You know, we go through life and we do get this sense that somebody thinks we're not good enough, whether we know it or not. Just pick a critic. It could be from school days, doesn't matter. Hold them in mind. And we repeat in our mind, may they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. And we want to imagine that critic with peace of mind. happy, well, with peace of mind. They stop being a critic, obviously. That goes without saying. Holding the critic in mind, staying inside yourself. Releasing any tension that might arise on the out-breath. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. And you either visualize them or you imagine the sense of being with them with peace of mind. and how different they would be. And now back to ourselves, our inner kitten persona. May I be well? May I be happy? May I find peace of mind. May I be well. May I be happy. May I find peace of mind. And you can 
do the same exercise, how would you be with peace of mind? How would you feel with peace of mind? Staying in the inner body. And then bring the good person to mind again. That's that being, human being or animal that brings you a warm feeling. May they be well. May they be happy. May they be free from suffering. May they be well. May they be happy. May they be free from suffering. So now relaxing again into the inner body. Soft, warm armchair moving inside yourself. Focusing your attention inside yourself. and becoming aware of the rising and falling of the belly. Slow and gentle movement of the belly through time. the movement of ambient sound through time. And the movement of the sound of the bell through time.
and in your very own time gently return your attention to your surroundings Hi. That, that can be just words, doesn't matter. If you do these practices often enough, you'll get everything. So you'll get enhanced mood, feelings of bliss and joy. You'll feel sad. You'll feel it'll all work through it. But because it's soft and gentle, it's a gratitude practice. What we're doing with these is we're offsetting the conflict and friction of the modern world. We're balancing it out with these, this soft and gentle approach. So we don't have to dig deep into our suffering to necessarily process it. And one of the things you might notice is, let's say you're in a pretty rub bit of a rubbishy place and you feel like the world's not on your side and it's beating you up and so on you do these practices it, it neutralizes that and the, imagine there's a dial on the side of your head IMFM against me for me how do you switch that click how do you move it back to for me that's how you do it may I be well may I be happy May I find peace of mind. May I be free from suffering. Because the, the, the inner voice, it's either going to be against you or for you. So you're choosing the for me switch. Click. And you do that often enough. And over a long enough period of time, you're neutralizing all of this baggage and not good enoughness and so on and we're also doing that for the critic the critic isn't actually they're not the one there's not them that critical person isn't the critical person they're not causing you to feel like you're not good enough what they are is a symbol of the external critical judgmental world that we believe might believe we're not good enough so we're just chosen them they're the lucky recipient of our well-being wishes because by giving them our well-being wishes we're neutralizing that feeling that we believe that others believe that we're not good enough and in doing so over time we'll neutralize and i like to use the word squish we'll squish the imposter syndrome okay so um i hope that that was a bit clearer than Tuesday. And uh, I know yesterday because of the deep dive in the deepening course, which is what the deepening course is all about. Uh, it might have got a little bit confused. But that's that's the deal. You know, we got we got these we, we need to smooth out the rough edges, rough edges of interactions in the modern world. And the gratitude practice is the most useful way to do it. And of course, you've got a lot of other things as well. You've got the breathing practices and a relaxation. So what you're doing is you're working with your response to difficult people and difficult situations. But as well as that, there's the, the beliefs.
and how do we affect them? How do we create a belief in ourselves and neutralize these unhelpful ones? And that's how it's done. 